And, you know, Francis, if you want to jump in there on church history or any of your personal... Um... Yeah, this is, this is kind of above my pay grade. You guys are using some really... <laughs> cool and I was thinking, this is a VeggieTales guy. This will be fine. I have stuff to say. Yeah. And... Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. I just, I don't, I, I don't okay. have a whole lot to say. Okay, Francis Chan is an American pastor. He's the author of best-selling books like Crazy Love, Overwhelmed by a Relentless God, and Forgotten God, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. He and his wife, what's your wife's name? Lisa. He and his wife... My wife's name is Lisa. He and his wife, Lisa, not to be confused with my wife, Lisa... Uh, planted a church in Simi Valley, California in 1994, which grew to more than 3,000 attendees. He started Eternity Bible College in 2004. In 2010, he announced he was resigning from his megachurch to pursue, quote, uh, and this is from his uh, website, what God had laid on his heart. He soon moved to San Francisco, um, grew a beard, uh, and started selling—no. Uh, he soon moved to San Francisco to start a church planning movement in the inner city and also worked to launch a nationwide discipleship movement. Okay, that's you, right? Uh, yeah, for the most part. That's pretty close. <laughs> okay, let's start—let's go back a few years. Uh, you had a megachurch. Anything over yeah. 2,000 is a megachurch. Right. So technically you had a megachurch. Okay, that's like all anybody wants. That's like, that's like where it's happening. It's the Pope job. Man, you had <laughs> it. Christian Everyone world. wants a mega church. Having a mega church is great. And you just walked away. What? Just in a nutshell, why'd you walk away? And I was maybe the hardest decision of my life. Um, but... Um, you, you know, just there were too many things I was convicted about biblically that the elders themselves were bringing up to me about how we weren't living like a church where every part of the body is being used and their gifts are needed and necessary. It felt very much like the only thing that was necessary was for me to stand on a stage and people would say, you have a successful church because a lot of people are coming to hear the word of God. Yeah. But we look at scripture and say, no, that's not what God asked for every single part. And so it just felt like a lot of wasted people. Like, you know, you show up and you've got this amazing, not wasted, wasted, but you well, know. California just um, legalized marijuana, so there yeah. could be a lot of wasted people. But it, it just it just felt like a lot of waste of resource. Yeah. And I couldn't, I just couldn't figure out how to mobilize people well. Okay, so... so so you walk away, you end up in San Francisco. Did you, did you get to San Francisco in a VW bus? <laughs> no, we wouldn't fit in a VW oh, bus. Okay, because that, uh, that mental image is really compelling for some reason. Yeah. No, we went to Asia. I was thinking maybe I just don't belong here and uh, looked in the mirror and thought maybe Asia. And uh, <laughs> went over there and uh, yeah, just thinking about how they do church and the simplicity of a lot of the things that I was hearing about in the underground church that resonated with me. So went, checked that out, but ultimately really felt like the, the Lord wanted me back in the States that I didn't finish what I had started to take what I learned in Asia, bring it back. Um, and uh, ended up in San Francisco only because my brother had a place for us to stay out here. What What did you see in the church in Asia that you thought would be uh, transferable to a North American context? Um, the simplicity and uh, I thought the passion. Um, it's just very congruent with scripture. 
And I, I just thought, you know what? We all have the Holy Spirit. We don't have to be persecuted in order to take the seriously. And um, I, I just really loved the simplicity and the multiplication of it. And, oh, here's what I loved about it was uh, one of the underground church pastors was saying, you know, in America, you guys feel like you got to be famous to have a big impact. Here, he says, the people that have the biggest impact are the ones that are most hidden. No one can know who they are. And I thought, man, what a beautiful thing is you're fighting for obscurity um, rather than the limelight. Wow. That is completely foreign to the American evangelical I world. I can't compute that. I got to think about that for a while. Okay, so now you're planting churches in the inner city in uh, San Francisco. What does that look like? What kind of churches? What's your philosophy of church? You know, unpack that for us. Yeah, I mean, we have, um, we have elders. Everyone's, um, not that it has to be this way, but we started something that is all lay-led. And so I started a church out of my house, not knowing what to do, but then just say, you know what, honey, let's just start over. Let's just try to apply everything we can see in scripture and see where it goes. I'm not one that's great at formulating plans. It's just, I have certain things in my head and it's like, let's tweak it along the way. But just told everyone, let's try to live like a family as much as we can, a hundred percent family. Um, let's, let's go out, let's go out on the streets, share the gospel together. Let's, let's try to figure out everyone's gifts that they're contributing to this. Let's all read the Bible. Let's study, you know, let's, let's have communion together and really mean it and look each other in the eyes, you know, that type of uh, camaraderie. And I said, and then six months to a year from now, we're going to split into two churches. I'm going to be discipling like four of you. Two will lead one church, two will lead the other because I don't want to become an ingrown house church. We have to be about multiplication. So that's kind of started with, and sure enough, we split into two churches, then four, then eight, and now we're getting ready to split into 16. Wow. And wow. So, um, so what are the, yes. What? how many people did you start with? And then, you know, how many people are you at when you think, all right, this is about as big as it can healthily be. Let's, let's split it. Yeah, we shoot for somewhere around 20. Um, so once it gets to like 30 or so, um, we'll split. And uh, But sometimes, you know, if a leader is ready, we say, hey, don't think church planting, think missionary. Mm -hmm. um, missionaries often go out by themselves or with a couple of people. So don't expect everything there really go into a place as a mission field. And so sometimes we send a really small group into a certain area and, uh, and just see what happens. So for as long as I've been in ministry, the the thing you hear over and over and over and over again is church planting. You need to plant churches because that's the way to reach the most unchurched folks. And there's a formula for how you do that. And there's all these assessments. What do you make of that? Is that do you still see that as a biblical model or is it more just an American model? Uh, it depends. It depends on the model you're talking about. I mean, I think there's an assumption that if you have certain things in place you can go and plant a church well. Um, I mean, the key, it seems like, was to really develop elders in every place and, and really appoint elders, you know, uh, making disciples that are mature and complete and then letting them establish the church. Okay, so what have you seen? Here's a question. This is, this is, this is a big one. What have you seen that happens in, in this model 
you know, that just works better at this scale than at a large scale? What, what kind of dynamics, what kind of life change, you know, do you see where you say, oh, I'm glad that we're working on such a small scale? Yeah, well, I think the, the need for leaders, um, you know, when we tell guys, look, six months from now, a year from now, we need a couple of you to go off and start something new. It puts a pressure to grow. Um, me telling these pastors, look, they are truly your children. These are your spirit children. And just like when we brought our kids home from the hospital, we didn't know what in the world to do, but we figured it out. So I think the greatest thing we've done is given responsibility to people yeah. rather than one of the big trips like, okay, you can start a small group, but ultimately daddy's right here, right? Everyone comes back. He's the senior pastor. He's this, and yeah, you can babysit my kids for a little while, but ultimately I'm dad to four or 5,000 people. And this is no, really you're their parents. This isn't babysitting. This isn't fine. I won't even know them. And so, I'll be grandpa. You can come and ask me questions. We've got the elders here. And man, don't feel you got you to know everything, but you're in charge. And so to me, that's been the greatest thing is the forcing, the pushing people into something that they were actually made for. Yeah, yeah. So you're, you have a question? I Christian, do have a sorry. question. So I want to play a little bit of devil's advocate here. Um, back in the, I don't know, early 2000s or 90s, you know, everyone was so excited about the mega church movement. And there were so many positives about that, about reaching out to other people. And I assume you, like others, thought, I'm going to go in that direction. Well, now the ship has turned a little bit and the, you know, bloom is off the rose with the mega churches in a lot of ways. And now these smaller little home church things are seeming to be, I mean, they sound very idyllic and wonderful. My question is, what are the drawbacks or what are the negatives or what 10 years from now are we going to look back and say, you know, we could have done differently? With house churches? Yeah, that's really good. Um, <laughs> I, 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 it's hard because, man, I love my church so much right now. We're headed in such a good direction. I love my pastors. I feel like we're just this giant family. And we there were difficulties, but even the difficulties were good. Um, conflict happens quickly and uh, because you're in closer quarters, and, but then you work through it and, ah, gosh, I think, okay, I think if we're not careful and we, you know, a lot of the house churches, I feel like have thrown out the, the you know, the, the idea of authority um, and saying, you know what, we don't need this big core thing. No, the Bible says there's, there's church authority, there's leadership. And so we have to be careful with that. There's others that uh, aren't really studying the word of God deeply. Um, because no one's been trained to do that. And it's like, no, 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 no. We've been serious. Got to get everyone in the word of God. So I see dangers, potential dangers out there of everyone together and just sharing their feelings. And it's like, well, I think this, I feel this, I think this. And without a good scriptural, biblical authority um, with the leadership that knows how to get rid of that false teaching, um, it could get really crazy. And maybe that sounds a little bit of an explanation for why Paul had to write all those letters about, ex yeah. you know, talking about, you know, the right. false teachings right. that everybody was kind of doing that. And he kept having to come back and correct. Do you write epistles to each congregation? 
<laughs> no, but we do get together once a month. We'll meet at a park and uh, I'll speak to everyone and I'll get together with the leaders um, every other week. Okay. And so, yeah, but everyone, everyone's a lay leader. So no one's Question. paid and there's no buildings. All the money goes to missions and to the poor. Question, you're Francis Chan. You are kind of a known commodity. Some might even say, you know, you, you've got some celebrity and you're also a very gifted uh, preacher. Um, how do you avoid the cult of personality of, oh, I want to be a part of this thing if it's connected to Francis Chan, and can I go to the house church that he's in? Yeah, I don't lead a house church anymore. So um, I, right now, I've been just kind of going from church to church, just checking up on the pastors. And, uh, and so we try to avoid it with that. And we also, you know, since I only teach once a month, if that, um, avoid anyone coming just to hear me preach. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we're really trying to create something where it's known and people are attracted because of the love. And so the more I am gone, the more that actually happens. And our pastors have been great at loving people. And that's really why the people are coming. Uh, many of them are just people we find on the streets and uh, or uh, at the parks or knocking on their doors. And it has very, it feels like it doesn't have that much to do with me. Like my goal is, gosh, in a couple of years, I should be able to leave this thing and it should continue flourishing. That's, that's the dream. It sounds like, uh, you know, so many mega churches are facing transition points because they were started by a baby boomer pastor who's not right. reaching retirement age. And they're very, very fragile systems. Mm -hmm. And when that dynamic speaker leader is gone, a lot of them are worried about, I mean, the Crystal Cathedral down in Orange County was one of the early megachurches, and when Robert Schuler left, it went into turmoil. Now right. it's a Roman Catholic parish that they bought. But the model that Francis sounds like you guys have pursued, it's very robust. It's very, as Talib would say, anti-fragile, mm -hmm. where if you remove any one component, the whole thing can mm -hmm. still go on and, and, and not collapse. So it will be interesting to see, in, in given another 10 or 20 years, do we look back and see the megachurch phenomenon as kind of a baby boomer thing that lasted about 40 years, right, and right. is this really the future of the church in North America? Right. Is there a basic format uh, to the services that makes them all similar, or is it, you know, each each little group uh, yeah. for themselves? I mean, the things that are similar are uh, everyone uh, in our congregations reads through the entire Bible in a year, so we're all on a reading program. Whoa. Um, read scripture, there's, there's actually a, an app for it. And uh, even has videos that explain every book of the Bible in animated form before they read through those passages. And so we're all reading the same passage of Scripture every day. Like today, everyone read Ephesians 3 and 4. So we're talking about it throughout the day, people that work together, this and that. So, so that's the biggest common format is that, man, we're talking about the Word of God every day. So yeah. when we come together Sunday, there's not this, oh, you better feed me everything I need in third minute. It's like right, no, everyone's eating right. for themselves, sharing with each other. So when they get together, uh, everyone gets together Sunday mornings, 1030 in their neighborhood gathering. Um, they'll take communion. Sometimes they will feel like, you know, we just need to pray this whole time. Hmm. Just pray and worship this whole time. 
Um, sometimes it'll be a, a certain passage of scripture that they'll read over and over again and meditate and say, how do we do this? Some days they, they go, you know, let's just start walking in the neighborhood. I just feel like we're getting too ingrown. Let's go. And so there's a lot of freedom in that. Uh, I think on any given Sunday, if you went from each different house church, you're not sure what you're going to get on a Sunday. Um, but we try to de-emphasize that and say all week long, here's what you'll get. Okay, so here's my question. What do you do for yes. nursery and youth group? <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you yes. integrate children um, yeah. in these communities, I think is... That's really yeah. my question. Yeah. That has been a huge challenge for sure. Because when we're used to just dropping our kids off, you know, I've got seven of them. And so we're used to just sitting in a service and putting our kids in all their different programs. And it's a complete adjustment. Um, and each house church is different. Each gathering is different. Uh, so when we visit different ones, some of them, they actually assign someone to watch the kids at a certain age. Some parents want their kids in the room with them. Um, I think the main thing we emphasize is uh, we help in just building up each other's kids all through the week. And so there isn't a youth group right now. Um, it really is family based. And part of that, I, I miss because I'm a youth pastor and I doing youth events. But there's another side where you see so many of these 18 year olds uh, leaving the church once they turn 18 because they don't know how to operate outside of youth group. But now my children, um, you know, I had everything from 21 to one. I got 21, 18, 17, 12, 11, wow. five, one in my house. And, uh, and they are family with these other people, you yeah. know, older people, younger people. And, yeah. and that's going to last forever. And, uh, and I love that. They just have dozens of uncles and aunties who all love them and pour into their lives. And so, yeah, I, I do miss youth group. I think there's value in that. I think that can be a good thing. And maybe someday we'll incorporate that. But right now, I also think we found something better, um, which is older teaching younger. And, yeah. and Have any of your kids, as they've gotten into their teen years, said, you know, hey, Dad, your church is great and all, but my friend has this uh, really big church and they do really cool stuff. Can I go over there on Sunday? Um, not not yet um <laughs> it's coming trust me <laughs> yeah so far so far i mean it's been four years and uh they love it oh, well there aren't too many they, mega churches in downtown san francisco right what about this is true is you know my concerns would be you know any time like in our country's history where you have groups of people that are kind of living in a commune type way, it can get a little enmeshed or, or inbred, inbred and, and a little bit, it can tend to be unhealthy if not balanced. And so that sort of concerns me a little. But they grow and they split. Yeah, I mean, we don't all live in the same house. No, well, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I know. I know that. Well, I know that. Well, I'm just saying. Yes. Hold on. And, yeah, but also understand that, man, we don't even have a church office that everyone gathers in. I mean, everyone's working a full-time job in the world, um, which is wonderful to me. Um, versus your typical mega church model, where it's like, let's all go meet at the church office and then. Go to Starbucks with the church people. 
Um, this is about the craziest group of people that are all in their own different worlds, reaching out to their own worlds and, uh, and then coming together to fellowship over that. So it's not like a, a commune type thing. I, I have a hard time with that. I, I, that's why I don't even want a church building is I don't want the type of commune. I want everyone out in their workplace mm -hmm. doing their thing, sharing the gospel with their own lips. You don't need to bring them to a place to hear the gospel. You go out there and share it. And then as we all get rejected, beat up, then let's come together and, uh, and encourage one another and remind each other, now let's keep going back out there. All right. Keep sharing. France, let me ask you this. How many other of your leaders, your core elders, have a similar experience to you, where they have a lot of past church experience. They're used to the familiar models, maybe even a megachurch model, and they're they're like, I'm done with that, and they're they're doing this because it's something new. Versus, how many of them is this their first real church experience? That this is what they know of of the body of Christ. Yeah, I, it's a good mix. I mean, we have the most eclectic church, I and mean, we have guys that are coming out of prison you know, out of rehab, girls coming out of prison rehab. Then we've got guys working at Google and Netflix and Salesforce. I mean, we, we've got even our pastors, like our co-pastors. One guy is a ex-con with FU tattooed on his eyelids, and he's co-pastoring with a guy that worked in the White House with George Bush, you know, <laughs> and they go out on the streets together, ministering together. It's like, you look at this group, every color, every like economic stats, like they, Here's a doctor and here's, a, you know, and, and it's just the weirdest, but it's a family and they're growing from one another. Um, it's, it's almost like boring now if you think, gosh, we're all going to be the same and hang out with the same types of people. And so we really push each other in our different worlds. What about um, you're in San Francisco, which has a high, um, you know, homosexual climate. How are you reaching out? I thought out? it was a Mediterranean climate. Very funny. Okay, <laughs> climate's not the word. Demographic. Um, how, how, what are your relationships with, like with that community? Yeah, I mean, you say that community, but it's, it's everywhere. I mean, San Francisco is just this quote unquote spiritual place where every everyone does what's right in their own eyes and i mean that's just the culture we live in and work in and so we encourage everyone man build as many relationships as you can with everyone um but at the end of the day uh, hopefully they see something completely different in you and the issue always has to go back to the core of their being not one particular thing that you would see as a sin but the Lordship of Christ painting such a beautiful picture of Jesus that you're willing to surrender everything, everything where you just go, oh, man, I, I will give up everything for that. And that's, that's the key to us. And, um, and so because it's not, see, I felt like if I had a giant stadium out here with tons of people, man, and I try to preach a message, it's going to get picketed. It's going to be, it's just all sorts of chaos. And I think that's where the world is going to. That's why I'm going, gosh, I don't know that the days of just being as many people in a room as possible in the large cities really makes the most sense. But it's going to have to be through relationships and individuals sharing the gospel rather than me doing it. 
And right, so as you right. build these relationships, show them something different. Well, right. that, that sounds so biblical and so not American. <laughs> Do you think that's it's unique right now to a, you know, a quasi post-Christian culture like San Francisco, and the model would be harder to go persuade people to try in, you know, Dallas or Atlanta or Nashville? Definitely, definitely. But at the same time, I feel like the world is going to become more like San Francisco rather yeah. than Dallas. And so, yeah, I could see in some suburban areas and some Bible Belt areas where you're just used to all of the comforts of, gosh, we got our own bowling alley and this and that, to say now you're going to get with a group of people. Yeah, and, and you're going to have uh, nothing. You don't even get a nursery. You got nothing. Except the Holy Spirit. Yes. Do you have raise your own. Do you have hymnals? Do you get hymnals? Yeah. <sighs> okay. So, okay. Yeah, we, don't, we don't even have singing at some of them. I mean, some of them, the singing is just flat out horrible. Oh, but goodness. It's beautiful in God's eyes. And we got guys that can't sing at all leading. And to me, it's the most beautiful sound because I know their hearts. So anyways. Wow. That's, that's crazy. It's a brave new okay. world. It's the end of Western civilization okay. in the church world. Discipleship. You've got a heart for discipleship. What's your burden there, and what are you trying to accomplish? Well, it's just it's everything that we're doing as a church, which is about share your whole life, like every bit. I mean, we have these homes where guys that are coming out of prison are are living with mentors and the life change that takes place in a week or two, it was shocking. I'm like, how did that guy go from that to that in two weeks? And then you realize, well, that's because, man, normal discipleship, normal, I say what we're used to is an hour a week, let's meet for coffee and let me teach you. Right. Well, how long is it going to take to get two weeks worth of life at an hour a week? years and years these guys are living with them and hearing the word of god all day long and as i look back at life i go man who are the people that i was best able to influence are the people that lived in my home um that i really shared life with and not just shared a you know a bible study with wow so what what's the what are you trying to do you're, you're doing something with david platt no, we were, and you know, oh. he got busy, and I, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, um, okay. it, uh, yeah, you can take that off the bio. Okay, we'll take that <laughs> off the bio. Never mind that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what that was. So, are you doing anything formal for discipleship that other people could get involved in, or is it just what you're doing within your own yeah. church right now? More, we created that material called Multiply. And uh, okay. it was a free app. It still is. You just pick up and it just kind of, I want to give something to everyone so that people didn't have an excuse to say, well, I can't teach, you know, the guy in the cubicle next to me. It's like, no, I'll lay it all out for you. Here's videos. Yeah. Here's everything. Let me equip you and encourage you. We need you to do it. We don't need people standing with bullhorns. We need you you know, to, to go to the people in your circle of influence and really let out the gospel, have the gospel come out from your own lips. And that's that's how we, that's part of our benchmark of how are we doing as a church? I tell the pastors, look around the room, how many people share the gospel with their own lips to an unbeliever this week? Hmm. And it's amazing. I mean, I was sitting in one church where there are 20 people, 15 of them were telling stories during the sharing time about someone they got, you know, to share with that week. And I thought, 
man, and, and, and it could have been all 20 of them probably had something, but I'm going, in a church of 5,000, do you have 15 to 20 people who share the gospel with their own lips? You know, we're making disciples themselves. It's just like, no, bring them to me and I'll share with everyone. Right. It's like, no, 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 discipleship. We need everyone speaking up. Don't you think that uh, part of the opportunity here is, I mean, the reason people used to gather in huge groups of Christians or in large churches was because they were there to get equipped. I mean, at least in theory. But now with the internet and with digital technology, we can disseminate great teaching and resources and equip people on the road, on the fly, so they don't have to assemble into these huge congregations, into these massively expensive buildings, but they can be disseminated throughout the culture and still get access to great teaching, access to resources, and it's just a far more efficient... I've heard various reports over the years about the the growth of the church in Iran, right, where there is no access from outside people, there are no missionaries, and yet the church is growing like wildfire there because of digital technology and people's access to things. So. Uh, it seems like this kind of model, this more orga- organic, smaller, relationally bound model of church is perfectly matched with the technology, the communication technology of our age. And to, when we keep reinforcing these mega models, it's it's kind of going upstream and against where we are with technology. Do you have church yeah. discipline that you employ how do you we guys do? do you, we do. How does that look? It's, <laughs> Have you ever heard of a spanking machine? Yeah. No, it's the the pastors of each church, you know, I mean, they, they know the people, they know their sheep. And so when they see sin in their lives, you know, that they feel is, is something they need to confront, they do it. And they do it in a Matthew 18, you know, uh, um, fashion. And it's, it is so beautiful. Man, I love it. And it's not just like major sins. It's like some of our pastors, they'll go to someone like, hey, you've been coming here for a month and you have a gift for us. You know, you have some spiritual gift and you're just showing up like we need you. We need you. So it's even that type of discipline in a sense where we're saying you, we didn't create this. So everyone just comes and, and listens to me teach right. like you need to use your gift for the common good. Sounds and like so, yeah, it was work. more fun than ever. <laughs> is this harder? Yeah. Sounds like hard. Is, is this harder for a pastor or easier for a pastor? Oh, it's so hard. It is so hard. <laughs> so rewarding. I mean, the hard part is oh. they all have full-time jobs, and uh, yeah, you know, and now you're deeply invested in people's lives. Yeah, but the rewards of them, I mean, the growth in the pastors' lives—that's that's the group that has grown the most—is the guys. You know, we've got like a, like thirty of them now, and I just tell you, they are just soldiers. They're just warriors. Um, Do you have any women? Wide- then? most amazing women i i'm a i'm a uh you know more of a uh wow i just went blank you know complementarian <laughs> and i believe that uh you know in our churches we have the older women teaching the younger women we have the men discipling the younger men um i my best understanding of scripture is that the men were to be the elders of the church and so we you know we, we've t- gone back and forth with what about the role of pastor if she has authority over the men and so we're still leaning towards uh male authority as far as the even the pastorate's concerned well but we're not going to same- get into that right now we're just going to leave that yeah. one alone for, 
for now. Our our audience is fairly diverse. That's that next we can talk about who you voted for. <laughs> mess us up. Okay. How can how can people so people say this sounds fantastic? I want to learn more about this. Did you do a video series on this sort of thing? Didn't uh, Preston no. Sprinkle tell me that? No. Oh, you know what I did in the past, but that that doesn't really describe what we're doing. We're okay. we're beefing up our right now actually and i would say in the next few months i'd say in the next month or two we'll have something up i'm looking at my team right now even as i say that uh, yeah they're giving me a thumbs up and we're actually starting a school in uh in january um that'll just people can come for like five days pastors can come for five days we go through ecclesiology you know just remind them of the promises of scripture of what god promised for his church and we have them attend one of our gathering, walk the streets with one of our pastors, um, just kind of get another picture. And then uh, for, for students that are maybe just out of seminary or just out of Bible college, uh, they can come for like a month and, uh, and learn under our pastors, understand our ecclesiology, our structure. Um, and that'll, that's because we just feel like you can't really explain it all on a website or on a yeah, book or on yeah. a video series. Yeah. Is there Some a- of it, you meet this dear, dear group of people, be a part of them for a week and uh, just be blown away by their love. Yeah. Is there a, uh, a website up now or is this what you're working on? Yes, there is a website. It is wearechurch.com. Wearechurch.com. How'd you get that? That's a pretty yeah. good URL. It seems like a good one. Yes, but just know it's very ghetto right now. It's just we threw it up, and uh, um, something better is coming. It's it's like the old covenant. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> we will await the coming of the new yes. covenant uh, slash yes. domain in the future. Uh, thanks, Francis. This has been really interesting. Um, there's, there's a lot going on out there that's fun to, to track, and we're rooting for you in that interesting town. Uh, <laughs> we're in Wheaton, Illinois here. It's, you, you know, you can't, you can't throw a rock without hitting a church, and they're not house churches. They tend to be on the bigger side, but not as big as in Nashville. Churches in Nashville. That's true. Holy cow, they're huge. Anyway, okay, now I have to summarize uh, this with a song, uh, which I made a couple notes while you were talking, so let's see how this goes. Oh, Francis Chan, you know, he's the man. Lisa, his spouse, having church in a house. They got no real staff and no real plan, so you ought to take a tip from Francis Chan, because all you need is the love of god and you can reach the whole world it's not that odd you can bring them all into your house and you can have church just like francis chan and his spouse spouse i was rhyming with house spouse whose name is lisa okay thanks francis thanks for being on the show yeah thank you it's great thank you bye everybody we will see you next week go to patreon.com forward slash phil visher and you can help support the podcast so we can pay for internet fees to talk to francis chan among other things and feed our unpaid interns uh thanks all for being here we'll have ed stetzer on the show next year to talk about the future of evangelical next Next year did i say that (laughs) next week to talk about the future of evangelicalism in a uh, Trump world. See you next time. Bye, everybody. The Phil Fisher Podcast is produced by Phil Fisher Enterprises and recorded live at Jellyfish Lab Studios. 
This episode was edited by Jason Rugg and was fact-checked by absolutely no one. For more information, go to philfisher.com. Oh,